Hi, I'm Shane Ray. Welcome to Central Indiana Today. I've got a great show for you, so just get ready for it. First off, we're going to be talking with Jim Graham, and he started a radio station right here in Hendricks County. And this was uh, not recent. It's been a while back, but we'll talk more about that a little later on. Also, we're going to be talking with the new owner of The Republican, and uh, that's a newspaper that physically they're located in Danville, but they're for all of Hendricks County. And he is, he's got a lot of great history about the paper and some of his views on media. So we'll go into that, and all you have to do is stay right here for Central Indiana Today. Duke Energy presents Central Indiana Today. Shane Ray talks with the newsmakers in and around Hendricks County. And now your host, Shane Ray. Well, as promised, here he is, uh, the guy I told you about a little bit earlier. It is Jim Graham. Now, he's a longtime Hendricks County resident, and we're going to get into his whole history here in just a bit. First, uh, you may be familiar with him, but if you're like me, you're a transplant from somewhere else. You may not be overly familiar with uh, with Jim's history here in the county, but first, we'll get to know him a little bit. Jim, how are you today? I'm great. Glad to hear that. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up. Well, I was born in Phillipsburg, Ohio. My grandfather was a doctor. My other grandfather was a farmer. My mother was uh, 17, had just turned 17, and I arrived at the farmhouse, but by delivering doctor was my other grandfather. Wow. Now, what what brought you to Hendricks County? My father was a war correspondent during the war, but his assignment was Capitol Hill and the White House. Uh, he was working for the Crosley Network out of Cincinnati, feeding five Crosley stations a daily program. When the war ended, he uh, uh, was terminated and uh, was picked up by WIBC, but uh, we moved in 1945 from Arlington, Virginia, to Danville, Indiana, and then uh, he started with WIBC as news director and newscaster. Worked for the morning shift. He left home at 4:30 in the morning in Danville and did the 6 a.m. Uh, broadcast. Farm Bureau was his big sponsor, mm -hmm. and he did the noon broadcast and everything in between. Then he came home at noon. The uh, time in uh, that he really enjoyed, but uh, the Crosley Network that he worked for in Washington decided to open a television station here, Channel 13, called it WLWI, and they uh, hired him from WIBC to start the news anchor and news director job at WLWI, Channel 13, in 1957. So uh, that's uh, my father's background, all in uh, radio and television and newspapers. And uh, I uh, was a draft evader. The draft was about to get me for the Korean War, and I decided to try to join the Navy. The Navy came in said, uh, take this test. We'll see where we whether you'll fit in the Navy or not. When I came back to get the test results, they said, well, we've got an offer for you. We'll send you to either Purdue, Notre Dame, or the Naval Academy if you can pass the physical. 
Unfortunately, I flunked the physical. I was a half inch too short. So I went home and talked to my dad, said I'd like to stay out of school two weeks and grow. So he said, you can do that because it's important that you do get into the Navy and get that scholarship that they offered. So I built a stretch rack and uh, grew a half inch. Went, my dad carried me into the examining facility in his arms like an invalid <laughs> because I'd been in bed for two weeks stretching. And uh, he asked the doctor where you measure height on candidates for a midshipman. And uh, the doctor pointed to a scale. My dad walked over there tilted me up on the scale that put the bar down on my head and said he's 5'6", but I was only 5'6 for about uh, two minutes. Well, my spine collapsed again down to 5'5 five, five and a half, my basic weight, height, but that uh, effort gave me a 28-year military career. Wow. Success and, and a commission. Wound up as lieutenant colonel. Wow. Well, first off, thank you for your service. Thank you. So appreciate that. Um, uh, now remind uh, the listeners uh, what your father's name was. Gordon Graham. Gordon Graham. There's an airport named after him just east of Danville. Yes. And uh, so he has a name here in Hendricks County as well. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now how did uh, the – let's talk about the radio station. Uh, well, uh, my father was left WLWI to go to New York and work for uh, – a public relations firm over there. Uh, We wanted him back in Indiana. I started a business in 1968 and uh, lured him to come back and do selling for our business. He wasn't a good fit. This was a truck and mine supply company and that didn't fit his background. So we decided to try to start a radio station in Hendricks County to provide a a job for him. And uh, so after lots of uh, technical work, we found a spot where we could get a, a clear signal and uh, apply for a license just north of Danville. Uh, it was about two miles north of, well, a mile and a half north of Danville. So we built a radio station there, and my father uh, left the truck and pine supply business that I was running and went to the radio station. Now, what were the call letters? WGRT. WGRT. And uh, this is what you're, it's kind of like you and I are going to be kindred spirits here in a way because people come up to me all the time and uh, they think there's nothing to getting a radio license. You you could run to Walmart and get it. You know, why did you, you know, and uh, there's a lot that goes into getting that license, right? Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, <laughs> a lot of geography necessary mm-hmm. to look at the pattern that uh, a certain power will reach out, and you can't interfere with anybody within a, a certain frequency of, mm-hmm. of the request that you have. Yeah. You have to take a frequency that will fit in a particular spot if you're lucky. <laughs> exactly, if you're lucky. A lot of people say, how did you choose this one? I said, uh, it was available. You just yeah. kind of have to take what's out there, right? Right. So uh, let's talk a little about what it took to get that started. I mean, as far as, um, I mean, like any business, you have to have customers. You have to do a lot of research. You have to find out, uh, in your case, or in both of our cases, you have to find people who want to advertise on the station. That's why it keeps it afloat, right? Yes, yeah, so you must have uh, clients uh, or you must sell the time. And he was hoping that his experience in broadcasting sports would uh, enable him to uh, broadcast Plainfield, Brownsburg, Danville, Avon, sporting activities, mm-hmm. ball games. So he uh, 
uh, made arrangements to do live sports coverage and uh, tried to sell time on that, but it was difficult uh, to sell sufficient time to cover the overhead. Yeah, it is difficult, uh, especially if, I mean, when it comes to sales, uh, when you're selling a radio station, you have to be a certain type of person. Not just anybody can go in there and, and try right. to sell radio, right? That's right. Uh, same thing with being an on-air personality, though. And uh, did you do time on that microphone? Uh, I was never on the air. My dad uh, did all of the air work. I continued to run the business that I had in Indianapolis. But uh, I did uh, try to help him, guide him, because I was uh, pretty proficient in sales in my business and uh, tried to guide him and help him with selling in the radio market. He was never in sales in the radio business before. He was always in production of radio and newscasts. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about the radio station. What kind of music were you playing? Uh, it was pop music, and uh, the uh, station was a mile and a half north of Danville. We built a tower and a little building there, and uh, so the tower, transmitter, and studio was all in the same location, and uh, was defined by the FCC as necessary to get that frequency. Mm. So... Uh, uh, Dad went out selling and uh, did most of the air work, trying to, you know, keep the uh, operating cost within the budget. But uh, it was very difficult uh, to uh, sell enough airtime to cover the, his costs and uh, the staff that he had to operate the station. Let's talk a little bit about the staff. Uh, who who else would uh, we have heard on the radio station at that time? Well, uh, he had a couple of announcers that he was acquainted with. I can't recall their names now, but uh, there was a weatherman from uh, w, uh, Indianapolis, Big John Gillis, mm -hmm. who was wife, uh, was a friend of my dad's, an acquaintance with dad, and she did a lot of the uh, management and staff work at the station. When did, uh, when did you feel like you, it was time to get out of the radio business? My father came down with cancer. He was a smoker, and he developed lung cancer, and... Uh, we had to bail out of the station when it came down with cancer, and a New Jersey company bought it, changed the format to, uh, I think, black uh, community mm -hmm. news and uh, uh, tried to service the black community in the west side of Indianapolis with that radio station, and it didn't work well for them. I think they eventually sold it, and the station moved, or the transmitter moved somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I didn't follow it after we sold it. And uh, the building and transmitter and all, is it still there? The building is still there. It is it's still there on, in Danville? It's in an orchard. Okay. On the ed edge of the Anderson Orchard. And the tower? Not, not the tower is still there too, I think. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah, like you said, but nothing is transmitted out of there no. anymore. No. In fact, uh, what I tell people is that this station is the only radio station that's physically still located in that's this right. county. FCC allowed a lot of the stations, and I won't mention the others, that, but that were here at one time. They've allowed them all to move to Indianapolis, mm -hmm. and that's why we were able to start a community radio station mm -hmm. right here. So uh, do you get people ask you every now and then uh, about the radio station if you miss it or anything like that? Um. No, I, I didn't. Uh, I lived in Brownsburg at the time, but my business was in Indianapolis, So I, and I had to work very hard to keep that business alive, and so I spent almost all my working time in Indianapolis. And uh, 
I have not had anyone uh, tell me that they missed the radio station. They probably didn't know I was affiliated with it. Right. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, I, I get every now and then some of the what I would call uh, the 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 people who've been here a long time. They'll say, "Hey, did you know Danville used to have a radio station?" And I'll say. Well, I've heard about it or something like that, but I never met anyone who had uh, had worked there or had anything to do with it, as a matter of fact. So it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. And I certainly do appreciate you uh, coming in and talking with us a little bit about that. All right. Glad to bring it to the attention of the listeners here in Hendricks County again. Well, there you go. Thanks a lot, Jim Graham, for being our guest, our first guest on today's episode of Central Indiana Today. And next up, it is Mr. Jerry Vornholt. He is uh, not a new guest to the radio station. In fact, he's not even a new guest to this show, Central Indiana Today. But in the past, he's always been here talking about um, uh, the Hendrick Civic Theater but we're going to be talking about something totally different. How's Jerry today? Jerry's doing well. Thanks, Shane. Good. Glad to hear it. All right. Your big news is, and I guess I was talking to someone before we even started recording, before you even got here today, uh, that in a way, it's been less than a year, so you're still the new owner of uh, the the only what I would say, the actual only newspaper in Hendricks County, right? Yes, that's correct. The Republican. Yeah. Well, tell us, a, first off, tell us a little bit about Jerry. Hmm. Where'd you grow up? Uh, born in Indiana. Yeah. Grew up in Delaware mm. on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was about 25 or 26, I thought, hey, let's get back to Indiana and, you know, all the nice people out there and we'll go hang out in Indiana and see how we like that when <laughs> been here ever since. So that went from moving to Indiana, getting acclimated to the Midwest culture, which took a little bit of time, all yeah. good, but it yeah. just it's just different. Um, and, you know, basically the progression went from I came to Indiana. Uh, one of the things, a hobby of mine was flying stunt kites, which hmm. um, a lot of people hadn't heard of at the time and still probably so. But these are kites that have two strings and you control them. So they the, the wind pushes against the strings and you can do loops and you can make it go about like a plane. You can make sure. it go about anywhere. So uh, I simply broke uh, a piece of the kite when I was flying because the winds get pretty heavy and a lot of force. In, in Delaware, it wouldn't have been anything to just go to a kite store and pick up a piece and I found out quickly there's no kite stores in Indianapolis <laughs> or Indiana yeah. <laughs> and I was just like oh this is a problem here so um, I ordered some pieces and while I ordered some pieces from a, a kite supplier uh, I said something about hey nobody flies these out here maybe you know I could sell these and uh, they they told me that uh, they would send me uh, an order of kites and that I didn't have to pay for them for 30 days. And to me, as a young 25-year-old, I thought that was crazy. You're going to give me all these kites and I'll pay you for 30 days. So I found the Hoosier Kite Flyers Society and uh, went to their meeting, my first time going to their meeting. And I was a shy kid 
and uh, parked at the other end of the parking lot, and I pulled these stunt kites out and started flying them, and they're loud, and they're really cool, and if you've never seen one, you're going to get some attention. Mm. By the end of the day, I was sold out. Mm. They all came down, asked who I was, and I was a member and sold out. So that was the beginning of me selling and making money on things. <laughs> then winter came around, and it was really cold, and um, I didn't really have many friends or anything around. I was fairly new. And was going to bars and playing dart leagues, um, steel tip darts and dart leagues. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that, you know, finding dart supplies was sometimes a little difficult. So I thought, huh, I wonder if this works with darts. So I found a a dart supply company out of Kansas and said, this is who I am. This is what I'd like to do. I go to tournaments. And sure enough, they did the same thing. They sent me a bunch (laughs) of darts and supplies for free and said I did pay them in 30 days. I thought, oh, this is good. (laughs) So I started selling dart supplies in the wintertime. So being in bars gets a little bit old after a while. At least it did for me. Um, me too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> As we set off, Mike. Yes. So, um, I, I, my parents were moving back here. They had a real estate agent. I saw how they did is a realtor selling homes. I thought I could do that. Got into real estate, started selling homes. Uh, didn't care for that too much. It's a hard job. Started selling uh, commercial real estate. Um, land mostly land acquisition for development and that's what I still do today and moved to Danville in 2008 and bought some buildings around the square over time and that's kind of how it led into the newspaper (laughs) well let's go into a little bit of the history of the paper okay The Republican newspaper traces its roots back to 1847, which is just fascinating when you start looking into that. Um, the way I got involved with the paper was, as, as I do, I'll talk to people and say, hey, look, if you ever think about selling or something, let me know. Mm-hmm. And I, I walked into the paper to place an ad for a play I was doing for Hendrick Civic Theater called 12 Angry Men, which I think we did a, yeah. a snippet of it here. Mm-hmm. And as I left, I just said, you know, if there's ever, the paper's ever in any, you know, trouble or anything like that or the building, you know, let me know. And before I could get out the door, uh, the editor, Betty Bartley, had said, well, it's funny you asked that. (laughs) So before I knew it, one thing led to another. Um, The building and paper were owned, uh, inherited by a lady in New Zealand. I, um, she didn't want it. She wanted to sell the building in the paper so she could have money to buy a home for her family down there. So I started communicating with her. We came to terms, um, on price for the building. She was hoping for a little more and she said something about what about the paper? I had never had any interest in owning a newspaper of any kind or being in media of any type whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, no offense, Shane, but <laughs> it's just not something that I ever, but I did know the history, a little bit of that paper. It's been around for 170 something years and she was willing to just be done with it and let it go away. Now that paper doesn't exactly, you know, throw off millions of dollars. Sure. So I, 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 I was not, interested in seeing the paper go away so i made her an offer on the paper as well 
and she agreed to it. And then that's how I ended up owning a 170-year-old newspaper based in, always been in, and only writes about Hendricks County. Okay. Now, do you would you would, – and I'm not trying to – inflate your ego or anything but it's kind of like you were helping not only danville but hendricks county hold on to a piece of its heritage is that a good way to put it that's fair um i wasn't doing it for any um for my own tooting and form by any means it was really i don't know um it's probably silly getting into a newspaper business when everybody you know is online and says newspapers are dead it wasn't really about that what i learned was the subscribers to the republican are fiercely loyal um, subscribers, readers, mm-hmm. uh, they, someone told me this and it was really stuck with me. Everything is in that paper is important to someone. Hmm. That really, I don't know. It just kind of made me think about that a little bit. And my thought was, okay, there's staff there. Um, Betty Bartley, Beth Polly, they, they do a great job keeping the paper out every week. I thought, well, they're there. I won't need to do anything. Um, maybe I'll put my office, my real estate office in the back, um, if I may. Mm-hmm. So what I really initially loved about the building was the fact that the paper, the Republican, built that building in 1899. It is the only building on the square that is still being used as its exit. Uh, as it was built for, other than the courthouse. And the courthouse is built after the paper, the current one. So it had this neat history. And inside that building were all the different, um, I'm going to say all all the different ways of printing a paper through history. So in 1899, they were still um, printing the paper is the Gutenberg press did. This was foundry type. Each letter had its own little type of steel, mm-hmm. each punctuation, each space. And you re- literally composed each article uh, and the whole paper, one letter in space at a time, one line at a time, all bound together in a big, what they call a chase. I've learned things since then. <laughs> so in a chase, and then that page gets sent um, it does a proof roll. It gets ink on it and paper. And when there was presses inside that building, no longer are. But it was done methodically, space by space, letter by letter. And then when you're done, you have to start it all over again. And I just don't know. I'm just amazed at that. But what I found interesting was they went from that to the linotype in the 30s. And the linotype was an invention that kind of did away with having to set each letter at a time, but it was still hot lead being forced through, you know, matrices and creating a line of type. And that machine is still there. So it's like they went from the Gutenberg style, the linotype came, they just literally got up, walked over to the linotype, did that for 40 or 50 years, and then cold press came in, which is where you're literally photographing your your paper and then having it printed. And then the first uh, CompuGraphic cold type is still there. And it's just amazing to me. It's fascinating. So we have every issue of the paper from 1890 to today. Hmm. And a lot of the favorite section of the paper, two favorite sections are the yesteryears Mm -hmm. is inside front page and the obituaries. Those are the two (laughs) things people read right away. Mm -hmm. Those yesteryears that go back to 1825 or 18, I think 75 now, 125 years ago, they're pulled literally from the actual paper. Uh, Our editor, Betty, will 
get a big bound book one year at a time and she'll open that up on the table and she'll be scanning for articles she finds interesting it's all local it's all Hendricks county and she'll pull the little tidbits and that'll be on the inside front page other papers will do yesteryears or you know but they're pulling from you know um, national things or international things which is interesting Mm -hmm. but this is truly being pulled from the paper was printed in your community 125 years ago yeah that's fascinating it to is me. and you know what i've heard that before that first thing people read is the obituaries mm-hmm. and it's like red skeleton said i wake up first thing i read <laughs> is the obituaries if i'm not in it i go ahead and get my day started <laughs> and that may be the reason it's mostly yeah <laughs> the most read um i do want to say this this is another thing that really talks about the heart of the paper um Back in 1890, Julian Hogate was editor. He's a very uh, well-educated, degreed man in journalism from IU. I think he spent some time in New York, but he was from Danville, came back, became editor of the Republican, and then eventually the owner a few years later. But he kind of set some tenets that we still stick to today, and one of those is obituaries will always be free. Hmm. It was something that he believed in that you shouldn't, if you had a loved one that you wanted in in the obituary, uh, no matter if you had any money or not, by golly, it was going to be printed. Hmm. And that's something that stays to this day. And I don't, there may be other papers that that don't charge. I don't know of any, Hmm. but that's important to the paper. So that's going to stay that way. There's just a personality to the paper that was kind of from that 1890s era and through time that is still, if you went and looked at some of those old editions, you could see the personality that it still is. Uh, You know, and I think of that like radio stations or TV stations or any other media outlet, you got to have your own personality if you're just printing the facts. I mean, specifically the facts without personality or, in our case, playing um, more or less an MP3 player just rotating yeah. songs or whatever, uh, or a TV station that only plays, uh, you know, you never see a, a person on there other than the TV shows. You've got to have, and I've talked with people uh, in the area about radio, and they say, no, we like someone coming on and talking a little bit about yes. the songs or what's going on in the community or whatever. They don't want to have just the songs on a rotation basis, you know, the greatest hits of the monkeys mixed with, you know, David Bowie or whatever and nothing in between. And I think that's in, uh, is, is important as well on any type of media. And, the, and certainly uh, it sounds like you're hitting the nail on the head with the, with the, the Republican. We're, we're trying to, when I, when I got involved, um, back up just a little bit before I got involved, um, I'm like the fifth owner in 120 years, which is really kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, the Wiesners owned it from 1934 on to 2014 as a family, uh, Pug Wiesner and then his daughter, Betty Wiesner. Um, they ran that until 2014, and then Betty passed away. Then Betty Bartley, who's the editor then and, and still is, um, because of the change in the death and the paper being willed to um, a lady in New Zealand, mm-hmm. Betty carried the paper on her shoulders 
by herself. She literally would finish up the week. Uh, now, it is not done on a linotype anymore. It is done on a Mac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But, you know, Tuesday evening, it has to get sent to the printer. So she would get the paper ready, lay it out, get the stories, get the articles, get the obituaries, get the yesteryears, send it off to the printer, the banner graphic in Greencastle. On Tuesday night, she would get up early in the morning and go to the banner graphic at 8 in the morning to pick up the 1,500 or so uh, copies, bring them back to Danville to the office, stamp the addresses on each and every one of those, do the post office paperwork. These are things I had no idea of. (laughs) She used some post office paperwork you have to do for the post office, then take the papers to the different post offices in the county, and then by the end of the day, back at her desk working on the next issue. Mm. That's hard. That's that's dedication. That's a real love Mm -hmm. for the paper. Yeah. So... The most asked question I got when when I let it be known that I was buying the paper, nobody cared about the building, which is what, <laughs> which is what I was interested in right. as about the paper, was what are you going to do with the paper? What are you going to do with the paper? So I, I started to make a joke and say, well, the first thing I'm going to do is change the name to the progressive democrat well that didn't go over so well and it didn't take me a few times to realize that wasn't a good joke so you can edit that out if you think it's bad taste but i found it kind of hilarious um i was joking it was just because i knew the county i lived in and it was just funny (laughs) but uh i quit that joke um but really I think the answer is I'm not going to do anything with the paper except, I, I. and I said this in my salutary in the paper last week, I just want to give it room to breathe. Mm-hmm. It's got the right elements. It has the personality down. Betty's a wonderful editor. I'm just getting her help. Right. You know, I'm I'm putting a little uh, money into the building, taking it back to the way it was, you know, with the tall ceilings. We found wonderful tin ceilings in there. We've opened it up getting ready to move back into the front uh, office part. Um, you know, work on selling some ads for her, just talk to people I know, and now Beth is is the one taking that over. So really, I don't want to change anything about the paper, Shane. I, I think it's a wonderful piece. I think it does a great job for the community. I want to see it grow because I, I think there's a lot there that the people who, newer people have moved in here, a lot don't know there's a Republican paper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 really fine. It just needs a little room to stretch its wings out a little bit and to breathe and just become more of what it is. If that makes sense, that's just my feeling. Sure. So that's really my answer to that question. Okay. Well, let's remind everyone if they want a copy of the paper. Uh, the subscriptions are easy. Subscriptions are easy. Um, we have a website, um, uh, therepublicannewspaper.com, and you can uh, subscribe off there. We don't currently have the paper online. We are looking at some avenues on how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are on Facebook as well, have a little presence there. To subscribe, go to the website or Really, stop in. We're at 6 East Main, and we're remodeling parts of it. I plan on getting the linotype running again. (laughs) We have an old Platon press, it's called, that I want to get that running again. I want to have little demonstrations. I'd love to show you the building if any of you have interest in that kind of thing. 
and you can come in and, and pick up a, a copy and get your subscription that way as well. Excellent. All right. And of course, um, due to a new partnership, uh, you can find out each week a little blurb about what's going on here at WYRZ. Uh, look for our ad in there and then vice yes. versa. You'll hear some mentions throughout the week for the Republican paper. We certainly do appreciate that partnership. Same so. here, Shane. Really do. All right. Uh, and once again, let's remind everyone if they have questions for the paper, the, no telling, you know, whether it's. Uh, an ad they want to put in there, or yes. if they just have questions about subscriptions, is there a number they can call? Uh, yes, the number is 317-745-2777. Okay, and there you go. And, of course, you can also, like we said, look it up uh, on their website. And uh, Yeah, the website, you can. we have our emails there, of course, uh, as well as the subscribe button and our phone number is on there as well. Okay, sounds good. Jerry Vornholt, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Central Indiana Today with your host, Shane Ray. 